Hello and welcome to this episode of Travel Stories from the Back Again and Gone podcast being recorded in the beautiful Hampton Inn and Suites, Statesboro, Georgia. Tonight, we're going with Instagram questions and hopefully some answers. Thanks for listening. Hello. If you are a new listener, welcome. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. And before we get to tonight's questions and answers, let's take a quick spin around the interwebs. WSVN in Miami, so you know this is going to be good. Two California passengers arrested after fighting with American Airlines gate member at Miami International Airport. 23-year-old Brittany Mohammedai and 26-year-old Manuel Ortega, both from California, have been arrested after they were caught on camera Sunday fighting with an American Airlines gate member by trying to jump over the counter. According to police and the airline, the couple wanted to board the plane bound for Los Angeles but told they were, could not get on, not because they weren't wearing masks, because the woman, Brittany, wasn't wearing shoes. We went through TSA, we had everything checked out. We didn't realize that she didn't have shoes, said Ortega. When asked in what world is it acceptable to jump over a counter at an airport, Muhammad I replied, okay, I get that. I will take 100% responsibility. When asked how she didn't know it wasn't acceptable to not wear shoes in the airport, Brittany replied, okay, you know what? I don't go to the airport all that often. Brittany, First, TSA PreCheck would have helped you out because guess what? With PreCheck, you don't have to remove your shoes. My prediction is that there still would have been problems, and the following paragraph from the article is the reason. The two admitted they were drunk. We were at the Voodoo Lounge. We had tequila, Muhammad I said. One tequila, two tequila, three tequila, police car. Drinking at the airport is never a good idea. Drinking at an airport lounge that's named Voodoo Lounge, even worse idea, and having tequila at the Voodoo Lounge at the airport is probably the worst idea of all time. But, of course, thank you, Florida. The website Travel Guide threw this one our way. American sued in Thailand over negative TripAdvisor review. An American has been sued by an island resort in Thailand over a negative TripAdvisor review and could face up, get this, to two years in prison if found guilty. Domestic tourism is still happening in Thailand where the coronavirus numbers are relatively low with both locals and expats heading to near empty resorts, including Koh Chang Island, famed for its sandy beaches and turquoise water. But a recent visit to the Seaview Resort on the island landed Wesley Barnes in trouble after he wrote an unflattering online review about his holiday. As I learned in my ninth grade American history class, guess what? We all have our right to free speech, but there are times when that free speech right does have repercussion. I found Wesley's one-star review. It really wasn't hard to find. And here's the highlight of the review. Unfriendly staffed, no one ever smiles. They act like they don't want anyone there. The restaurant manager was the worst. He is from Czech Republic. <laughs> Free speech being in play. Here's a bit of the reply from the properties room division manager. 
on the day you arrived, you decided to get, to get together with some of your friends to have dinner at our beautiful Sunset Restaurant, and you brought along your own bottle of liquor, which goes against our rules, as it does in any hotel or resort that I have worked at or visited around the globe. Personally, I've stayed at enough resorts over the years to say that he is right. You do not get to be your own bartender at a resort without paying for it. And of course, this quickly became a pissing contest where the aforementioned restaurant manager had to step in, which led to the departing shot from the Sea View Room Division Manager. We wish you a safe trip while in Thailand, and we hope the other resorts don't have to go through the same experience as the one we had with you. In the words of Forrest Gump, Mama always said, there are three sides to every story, your side, my side, and somewhere in the middle is the truth. In the past month, I've been spending more time on the road, both business and personal travel, more on the personal side in the Q&A section. When it comes to COVID, the word of the day is still inconsistent. And I will take into account that people are getting more comfortable, and that's a really odd word to use in the age of COVID, but I believe that people are getting more and more comfortable and starting to get a little bit lax. My Monday night hotel had no COVID notifications in and around the hotel elevator, no hand sanitizer, no social distancing notifications outside or inside the elevator, and none of the big blue twister style dots on the floor, once again, indicating social distancing. The other two hotels, the other two nights, Remotes were wrapped up. There were plenty of the clean, handy wipes, probably a half a dozen in each room. Plenty of stickers. Every single room had the break the seal door sticker. And here's your travel tip for the week. If you have trouble remembering your hotel room and you don't particularly feel like taking a picture of the room number with your camera, take those handy break the seal stickers off the door frame and slap them right in the middle of your door. It will make it absolutely easy to find your room at 1130 at night as you come in from a nice relaxable dinner. On to tonight's topic, travel questions, hopefully some answers. And it seems that asking questions on Instagram instantly makes you an influencer I'm game, so I posted this on my Instagram account. Send your travel questions for an upcoming episode. Pretty straight and to the point, I would think. I got questions, but none of the social media influence or money that you read so much about. And this thought actually started over the weekend when we were at Disney Springs, and Jackie asked me, it was starting to rain, and we were walking down to Morimoto's for dinner. And Jackie asked, do you prefer a poncho or an umbrella? Well, at the time, I'm wearing an umbrella or carrying an umbrella, not wearing a poncho. And I said, for business, I don't think a poncho is really that practical. I don't think I've ever seen a poncho in the business environment. And I can only imagine being in the lobby of a business and trying to strip a poncho off and turning the lobby into some sort of a moist rainforest. And typically, an umbrella, uh, oftentimes, you'll see guys with London fog jackets not not so much anymore they've made umbrellas pretty packable and pretty small I've got a great umbrella story from about 20 plus years ago it was raining I was going into an account or an office in Greenville South Carolina pulled into the parking lot get out grab my umbrella pop it open and suddenly everybody in the lobby just starts breaking out laughing I immediately looked down to make sure that well first I'm wearing pants and second if I am hopefully the zipper zipped Everything looked good, headed into the uh, 
the front door of the place went to collapse my umbrella and it was then that I noticed that on the side of the umbrella it was blazoned with Clifford the big red dog probably a prize from some sort of a PBS fundraiser drive but good laugh had by all since that time I have been in charge of acquiring and storing my own umbrellas this first question actually comes from me and it is in direct response to the trip we had over the weekend how many chances do you give a hotel and so the backstory on this is that we'd like to go to Disney Springs on the weekend we have a hotel of choice it is the Hilton Disney Springs area and unfortunately there's in unfortunately but there's another Hilton across the street called the Hilton Palace at Disney Springs area so earlier in the year I accidentally booked at the palace didn't realize it but it's a Hilton property we pulled in what could possibly go wrong well first thing is we get to our room we go to open the refrigerator to throw a couple sodas in and that's when we notice that the previous guests dinners and their beautiful styrofoam and embossed packages were still in the refrigerator and it really smelled like the refrigerator had been turned off the food was a little bit on the rank side not a big deal walk downstairs we were on our way to dinner explain to the desk clerk what had happened hey we need another refrigerator and by the way the previous guest food were left inside four or five hours later it's probably 11 11 30 at night we go back to our room hey there's a new fridge and open it up and lo and behold the previous guest food is back in the refrigerator for whatever reason somebody thought we wanted it call back down to the desk clerk they bring us up another refrigerator or no I think they actually just remove the food from it get ready for bed look over at the clock on the side table next to the bed there's no power pull the clock out plug it into a different outlet still nothing working so basically it was a dead alarm clock had to call back down to the desk had another alarm clock shipped up not a big deal but you know two strikes at the end of the night next day we went to leave and I think they credited me back you know 15 or 20,000 points for the inconvenience eight months later we're wanting to go down to Disney Springs the typical Hilton Disney Springs area hotel is still not open so I go let's roll the bones one more time and we booked it back at the Hilton Palace checked in got our room went upstairs and I have a tendency on my profile to say prefers room not near the elevator so they put me at just about the very last room on the hallway get to the room and I notice that the break the seal sticker is broken and being the rube that I am I tap my room key open the door and lo and behold there's somebody's luggage and the bed is unmade don't know if the people were in there or not but we got the hell out of there drug ourselves back down the hallway back down to the front desk clerk of course I'm visibly upset <laughs> even with a mask on you can see the uh, the peaked colors of my eyeballs I walk up to the counter and the only time that I have ever done this in 20 years of business travel as I said to the gentleman I am a lifetime Diamond Hilton member means I spent over a thousand nights on your property I stayed here eight months ago it was an unmitigated disaster and we've been on this property tonight about 20 minutes and it's going down the same road gave me another room went back to the elevator back up back down the hallway it finally got to the room everything was good for the rest of the night but it really did pose the question how many times do you give a hotel a chance 
with business travel, I'm a little bit more laxed. I understand that things can go sideways and things can go kind of rough. But when it comes to family traveling, you've got a bunch of people in tow, and sometimes they're young kids. Nobody wants to hear the griping and the bitching. The next question is, what is the best travel reward program? So I'm guessing you mean hotels or airlines. Base your choice on what your needs are. So if you're going to be doing a lot of long-distance flights and not that many of them, look for an airline reward program that rewards you on mileage. If you're like me and you tend to take a lot of very short flights, look for a program that bases their level or their uh, different uh, statuses based on the number of flights, not necessarily the miles. There's really no wrong decisions. You've just got to kind of make what you think is an educated decision to start with, and you can always change later on. So for instance, when I first started traveling, I was a Holiday Inn guy, believe it or not. But Holiday Inn really lets you convert their points into merchandise, into solid goods. It wasn't just based on travel. And at the time, the kids were young. We didn't take a lot of trips. As the kids have grown up old and gotten older, I've switched my alliance over to Hilton because their points convert very easy into hotel rooms. The other thing is get a corresponding credit card. Get a brand name. So I carry two, actually three credit cards, a, a Green American Express. Got rid of the uh, the platinum card. I have a, a typical, it's, I think it's actually a corporate green card. For Hilton, I have an American Express card that I use at Hilton Hotels. The reason is they give me 12 points for every dollar. Makes sense. If I'm going to spend 100 bucks, I'm going to end up with whatever it is, 1,300 points. For travel, I have a Southwest credit card because they give me double miles, which helps towards getting the companion pass every time I book a flight using their credit card. Makes complete sense. The key to those cards, because they carry very high interest rates, usually north of 20%, is that you pay them off every month. You run an, a, an interest charge month after month after month, you're never going to get your value out of it. You can take as many free flights as you want, but I'm willing to bet you that the interest charge will far outweigh the value of those free flights. With COVID, would you get on an airplane? Absolutely. I would feel completely safe. I'm wearing a mask. You're wearing a mask. In the case of Southwest, they're leaving every single one of the middle seats open. Absolutely. I would have no problem getting on a plane at this point right now. This is my own question. Would you get on a cruise ship? Hell no. You could give me a cruise and I would not get on a cruise ship, and it has nothing to do with COVID. They're too confining. They're too structured. They're not for me. And they try to lure you in with this hokey-pokey $25-a-day drink package, and then once you find out or you buy it, you find out it really restricts you to only so many drinks. For me, I would not get on a cruise ship, and I don't know that many people right now with COVID that would. You're basically on a floating Petri dish, and once you get sick, guess what? You're stuck on the cruise ship. In all your years traveling, what has been the biggest change? Got to be technology, uh, apps. For instance, years ago, we went to uh, Sam's or Costco once a year and bought the Rand McNally paper map book. You know, then we merged to MapQuest, and now everything's built into our phone. It's really designed where you can book travel, cancel travel, change rooms, do everything through an app on your phone. For instance, look at something like Waze. You can actually speak to Waze and go take me to the nearest Hilton Garden Inn. 
and it will tell you where the gas stations are along the way, where the police are, where the traffic jams are. It'll reroute you. All this stuff that used to take hours and hours, or my dad with a map folded out on the hood of the 1974 Vista Cruiser wagon, is all now done with your thumb scrolling, scrolling through on a phone. How do you decide when you're going to use points or pay for travel? Every travel guru out there has some sort of a, a formula. What is a point worth? Is it worth 50 cents? Is it worth 75 cents? You know, if you follow any of these guys on the blogosphere, they'll let you know when somebody's having a sale when you can actually buy points, which I don't think I would ever do.、Uh, but you can actually buy points. You can actually buy status.、Uh, my formula is a little bit more straightforward. It basically is: I look at the room and I go, "Do I want to spend the points on the room, or do I want to spend 125 bucks for the room? You know, how many points do I have in the bank? How much cash do I have? When's my next monthly payment due? All those things for me go into that whether or not I'm going to use points or、uh, actually pay for a room. Personally, I would rather give you a hundred dollars for a room than actually give you thirty thousand points for the room. All things being equal, there's something about those points help me to keep score. Of course, if they were family, I'd probably give you the thirty thousand points. Best rental car you've ever gotten. First of all, I am not a car guy. Never have been. I've always had a, a decent car. Of course,、uh, still, if anybody wants to buy me a、uh, Range Rover Defender or a Raptor, I'm all game. But years ago, when you rented cars. It was a surprise. It could be a four-door Camry, or it could be a Dodge Charger. Really, it was a roll of the dice, depending on how much you wanted to spend. Now with Hertz, you choose from a group of cars based on your level or status. I think I'm Hertz Gold. I think it's a corporate package that we have, and basically, you get your choice of all the decent cars. You're not going to get a Mercedes or a Vet. But you can sometimes you can get a, a decent. We've had a couple Infinities. It just depends on what's in the President's Club. I think it's the President's Club section of the garage. So my top cars. I've got four top cars plus a, an honorable mention. The very first one was this Malibu Chevy Malibu, and it was probably within the last five years. But this car. Was the ugliest car. The interior was this two-tone black and brown. I don't know what they were trying to pull off. If this was supposed to be a Fentley or something, but I guarantee you, when they built this car on the line, they had to stop the line to, to retool for the interior because I've never seen another car like this ever. Next to that was a Lincoln Continental that I got in Memphis, Tennessee. This thing was an absolute land yacht. I felt like I was 107 driving it. Was not comfortable, especially if you've ever been to Memphis in the downtown area. Don't make that any downtown area. You don't want to be driving a land yacht through the narrow streets of any major town. Next up to that was a Chevy Camaro convertible. This was just a few years ago. It got my、uh, convertible want or desire completely out of my system. I put the top down a couple times. It was just not a great ride. It was also bright yellow, and so I think the only two things you could see from the space shuttle was the Great Wall of China and me inside that yellow Chevy Camaro. Next up was a Ford Mustang five-speed GT, and I had that car in Atlanta. And if you've had any experience in Atlanta traffic, driving a standard transmission is less than fun. 
got the need or the desire to ever own another standard car out of my system in that one three-day trip. And the winner or the uh, the honorable mention is the Dodge Van. And this was a few years ago. This was a total soccer mom van. I think everything on this car was electronic. There were sliding doors for hatches uh, for the two side doors. So anyway, we'd gone out, the group of us, that probably had a van because there was probably eight of us. I think it had three rows seating. Go out to dinner, come back. I don't remember who drove. Pull back into the parking lot of the Hampton in Fairfield, New Jersey. And I think it was winter. Yeah, it was winter. We get up the next morning. We go outside, and all of the doors on the van were open. So whoever drove that night had the key fob in their pocket and must have held down a combination of buttons, who knows what, managed to open every single door that was electronic on that van. We were looking inside, seeing if a raccoon or maybe a stray hotel cat had gotten his way in there to try to keep warm for the night. The next question is window seat or aisle seat. For probably the first 15 years of my travel, I was a window seat guy, and not for the view, for a couple of reasons. One was it gave me a place to rest my 50-pound Claude Aiken-sized head when I wanted to take a nap while flying. And the other reason was that many of the seats lined up perfectly, or many of the windows lined up perfectly with the seats, which gave me an extra inch or two of shoulder room. And being of somewhat wider carriage, it gave the people stuck in the middle seat a little bit of a reprieve. I have since swapped over in the last five years, since I swapped actually to Southwest, and I've become an aisle seat guy. The worst trip you've ever taken, this is a hands down an easy one. It happened roughly a year ago. It was to Seattle, Washington from Orlando. It was a long trip. It was a fly out on Sunday get back in late Friday night. There were no, and there still aren't any direct affordable flights from Orlando to Seattle. So I ended up on a Southwest flight that had two stops, which is great, right? And only one plane change. So left Orlando somewhere around 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning, arriving in Seattle around, or scheduled to arrive in Seattle around 6 p.m. Sunday evening. This added up to about 11 hours of travel time after you factor in the uh, time zone change. And it required five days of dress clothes. So um, that meant my carry-on was not gonna handle a couple pairs of shoes, all the clothing and the pants. And of course, being Seattle, had to have some kind of a, uh, a umbrella. And of course, I learned once I got to Seattle that the locals do not carry umbrellas. They all wear North Face rain jackets. So you could tell the out-of-towners by the ones, they're the ones carrying the umbrella. So of course, I had to carry a bigger bag, which required checking it. So right off the bat, I had broken two of my travel rules connecting flights and checked a baggage. And I've done a little bit of a 180 on checked baggage. I'm not as anti-checked bag as I once was, especially if it's a direct flight. The initial leg of the trip, Orlando to St. Louis, was perfect. I had the whole row of seats to me wide open. We call that a plain sofa or a plain couch. Well, one of the things that, say, that uh, Southwest does is they offer text messaging right before landing. I get a text message telling me that my uh, September 8th flight from St. Louis into, I think we were going to Vegas, or that was the next stop, is canceled. And to request a refund or rebook, I had to call 1-800-YOUR-DAY-IS-ABOUT-TO-SUCK. So I get off the plane, immediately dial the number, as well as head over to the gate agent. Whichever one responds first gets to be the winner and gets my business. 
gate agent gets to me first, explain to him about the cancel flight. He begins tipping and tacking away at the keyboard, comes back with two options. There's a 220 from St. Louis to Oakland. The flight leaves Oakland and gets me into Seattle about 9 p.m. at night, a few hours later. But there's also a second direct flight, direct St. Louis to Seattle that gets in at 7 p.m. It's oversold. I'll put you on the standby list. I'll transfer your luggage and put it on that flight. Even if you don't make the flight, your luggage will be in Seattle long before you do. Matthew says, do me a favor. Keep checking back in case the seat opens on the 440 flight and we can get you booked. It's roughly 10 a.m. in the morning. Time for some brunch. I've got, you know, probably four hours to kill uh, before I can check back with them. I check back, find Matthew, and guess what? There are nine open seats on the direct flight. That gets me in a couple hours earlier. I ask, can you book me? He says, nope, I can't. you got to go to the gate to do that. So I head to the gate, explain the whole, I have a confirmed seat on the 220 flight story, but my understanding is that there are nine open seats on the 440 direct flight. Can I get one of those seats? The gate agent goes on to say that she can't release any of those nine seats until an hour before the flight, which would be 340. The flight that I'm booked on leaves at 220, so there's no way that I can be in two places at the same time. So I just opt to take the uh, the 220 flight. I really didn't have a choice. My flight leaves St. Louis, heads into Oakland, a few hour layover there. I did have an open seat next to me, which is a beautiful thing. My Seattle flight was supposed to have left Oakland somewhere around 7 p.m., arriving in Seattle right around 9:10. The flight was delayed, so we did not leave Oakland until 8:30 p.m., arriving in Seattle at 10:30 p.m. At this point, it has been a 15-hour-plus travel day. However, the one bright thought that I had in my head that was Matthew had put my luggage on the 4 p.m. flight, so I knew that I would not have to wait for my bag to arrive. And I was sadly mistaken, walked into the baggage claim office after I didn't see my bag on the carousel. They have no, no record of my bags on the earlier flight. But they say, don't worry, we still have one more flight coming in from Oakland at 1 a.m. We feel pretty confident that your bag is on that flight. At this point, I am so tired. I give them the address of the hotel and told them, please don't call me. I'll be asleep. Just leave the bag at the front desk. Get to the Marriott somewhere around 11.30 p.m. Tell the desk clerk that I will be expecting my luggage. Please do not bring it to my room when it arrives. I just want to get some sleep right around 4 a.m. Pacific time. Guess what I get? An email telling me that my bag had been delivered. Well, I told them not to call me. Apparently, I forgot to say also, don't email me. So my body's on East Coast time. So I'm roughly, it's, you know, 7 a.m. my time. So I'm already awake, ready to start the day. Head downstairs, get my bag, get dressed. And that was the worst trip I've ever had. What is your best travel tip? This is actually a life tip as well as a travel tip. Do not go to the third bar. The first bar you go to in the evening, you're good. The second bar, most of the time, you will be safe. You will be okay. It's when you go to the third bar, that's when Jägermeister and Fireball, things like that, enter the picture. Everybody involved agrees that it's a good idea. Scratch that. It's not a good idea. They decide it's a great idea to break out the Jaeger and the Fireball. No one starts out their evening drinking 
Jägermeister or Fireball or any kind of a crazy shot. But by the time you hit the third bar, those drinks suddenly become a great idea. Many, many, many years ago, I watched a colleague lose their job all because of a third bar, and all three bars were in the same resort. Hotel bar number one, hotel bar number two, all is good. Hotel number three, he decided to partake in shots and more shots. His manager comes over, leads him back to his hotel room with the instructions to stay put. Roughly 30 minutes later, that colleague magically reappears. And this manager takes him back to the hotel room again. 30 minutes later, he makes his way back down to the lobby. And the next morning, he was on LinkedIn updating his resume. Another good tip is do not put your luggage on the bed or on the bed spread. Don't sit on the bed or the bed spread. Pull it down, throw it on the floor, do whatever you want. Those things don't get washed nearly as much as they advertise. Do you like two-wheel or four-wheel luggage, or what we call spinner luggage? Complete 180 on this one. For years and years and years, I was a two-wheel luggage guy, and actually it was the same luggage. It was a Samsonite. It was great. The last one that I bought lasted about 18 months before the handle started peeling away. So I bought one of the Away hard shell bags that you see advertised on every single social media, website, podcast, whatever. Uh, I like them. At first, I didn't think I would like them. I kept envisioning the four wheels as the luggage rolls down every single hill. But you do get a little bit more room because of the four wheels are on the outside of the bag. Where with a two-wheel bag, the wheels are normally recessed up inside the bag, cutting down on the inside of the room. So I really do like my Away bag. Also carry a backpack. I carry a Verky bag, backpack. Probably one of the best backpacks that I have ever had. What is the best travel advice you have ever been given? I guess travel advice is different from travel tips. At least I'll take it that way. I don't remember who told me this, but in the immortal words of John Dalton, you're familiar with him, right? John Dalton from the movie Roadhouse. Great movie. Be nice. Be nice to everybody, the gate agent, the desk clerk, everyone that you speak to on the phone. And normally when I'm in trouble, I, this actually happened about two weeks ago. I booked a room for the wrong night. When I get on the phone with somebody, I normally start out with these four words. I need some help. Even when I am frustrated due to delayed flights, crappy hotel room mistakes, like I said, that I made that I need to correct. I always start the conversation with, I need some help. During my 20 plus years of travel, I can tell you that most people want to be helpful. So don't be a dick. I'm here to tell you that domestic travel is tough, especially a week like this where it's three nights on the road and each night is in a completely different hotel. But I am here to tell you that it is better, way better than being a cubicle jockey Monday through Friday with the same soul-sucking group of co-workers. Well, there you have it. Instagram question and answers. Maybe we'll do this again. Maybe we won't. Let me know. Leave me a voicemail at anchor.com. Hit me up with an email, travelfrick at gmail.com. Getting closer to telling everybody to travel safe, but we're still going to go with stay safe. And thanks for listening. Hey, wait a second. Don't go. Make sure you check out all the blogs over at HypeAmerica.com. 
from food to travel to just general life humor. We cover all the topics. Thanks again. Thank you.